I'm so happy to be with you again as we gather all across the nation and world. I mean, uh, we welcome people online. We welcome people right here in South Florida. In fact, it's been a while since we've said this. Would you repeat after me? Nothing is too hard for God. And you are so loved. Now, would you look at somebody and tell them that? Nothing is too hard for God. You are so loved. We want all those joining us at home or wherever you're connecting with us to know that same thing too. Nothing is too hard for God, whatever it is you're facing today. And you are so loved. Now, about the pineapple. You know, um, I guess I take this for granted. Maybe you do too. But you can go right down to the store. By the way, Publix 399. Um, Go down to the store and you can pick one of these dudes up. But you know, for the longest time, this was considered a rare and exotic fruit. To the point that the only time you would see one of these, this is what, how the story goes, the historians say it, is when people who traveled to faraway exotic places like seafarers would return home and they would bring a pineapple with them. It was considered a gift of hospitality. It was like, aren't you glad to see me? And they would give the pineapple. And, uh, and as a symbol of hospitality, and though many associate pineapples with Hawaii, speaking of uh, faraway exotic places, historians also say that the origin of the pineapple goes back to Brazil. Do the bem? Brasileiros, right? You got, okay, except in Brazil, I've had two of our uh, Brazilian members tell me today already that if you say peel the pineapple in Brazil, it doesn't mean welcome. It's a more of let's work through a hard thing together. I'm praying that today you will be invited into a happy place together as we pass the pineapple, please. Our, we're continuing our emotional intelligence series today from Romans chapter 12. Um, stepping into a space of hospitality. We're moving from isolation into hospitality. And uh, the pineapple has long since been known as an international fruit of hospitality. So that's where I'm going with this. Let's just pass the pineapple, please. Let's get a taste of hospitality together. Now, for several weeks, we've been making our way through one of the most transformative chapters in all of the Bible, Romans chapter 12. And each week, we have been challenged to let our minds be renewed. That means to change our way of thinking, to be transformed in the way we view life in ways that will lift us to new levels of living, like a caterpillar that encases itself in the pupa only to emerge as a butterfly and discover its wings. That metamorphosis, that's the Greek word that Paul uses to introduce the concept, that this is a transformational journey that we have been on from pride to humility. From, from fearful to faithful, from independent to interdependent, from selfishness into servanthood, from defensiveness into loving our enemies. That was a hard place we went last time we were together. And then from isolation today, from isolation into hospitality. Pass the pineapple, please. Now, why does that matter? Because our current title kind of tells it like it is. You know, people are the worst. In fact, our drummer uh, sent me this this last week. He said, you know, she asked him, why do you always see the worst in people? And his simple answer is, because people are the worst. You know, we get that, don't we? 
I mean, does anybody need to have this explained to you what that means? And sometimes in the world, people believe that church people are the worst. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I've been in churches for a long, long time, and I can tell you, you know, <laughs> church people are the worst. And some of that holier than thou that just gets breathed down in, of course, it depends on the individual, doesn't it? But I bet you know, you got somebody coming to mind that would fit that bill. And it's part of the reason that we would rather have isolation. Because who wants to be involved in something like that? With Mark Twain said, some people are good in the, in the worst sense of the word. See, people can be the worst. Hypocritical, judgmental. Who wants to be judged? Not me. Who wants to be blamed and shamed? Not me. I'd rather be loved. You know, I'd rather be accepted. I'd rather be welcomed. I'd rather be celebrated. I would rather be heard. I would rather be understood. I would rather be with people that appreciate me, who make room for me to grow when I, into my best self, even when I am one of the worst. Does anybody know what I'm saying? You know, a place where, because uh, we're not exempt, church people aren't exempt from worseness. Dwight Moody, the great evangelist of a prior generation, said, you know, I've had more problems with myself than any other person I've ever met. That's because he knew, hey, sometimes I can be the worst. You ever heard this? You ever said this to yourself? Sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. People are the worst. I'd rather be with people who help me grow into my best self, even when I'm at my worst. And you know what? That's what Romans 12 is all about. That's what this whole chapter has been about. That's what this series has been about. This is the journey of emotional growth. We're stepping into healing maturity and learning how to bring our best when people are their worst or how to receive God's best from others when you're at your worst and you're not, you know, showing up with your best self. We're not immune to worseness. So this isn't an us versus them out there in the world kind of thing. No, in the Bible, this is like, this is us, period. We're all people, period. And so this series of truth and transformation is for all of us. And I'll tell you, a part of my journey into this self is, was the self-discovery that I was God's enemy. From God's perspective, he... He, he knew that I was in a state of enemy toward him. And yet he showed grace and kindness and mercy to me. I mean, in the way I was living, I was resisting his will. In the way I was speaking, I was cursing his name. In the way that I was dealing with others, I was playing the game. You know, it was like I was the worst. And what does God do with the worst? He says, well, don't you know? First, he wanted to help me see what James was writing. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? You know, maybe you're saying, well, I'm not an enemy of God, but look at this. That's I was saying that. Whoever wants to be a friend of the world, I'm going to settle down. I'm going to act like everybody else. I'm going to get my share. I'm going to do my thing. And he says he makes himself an enemy toward God. Is that troubling to you? Wasn't for a long time for me, but then there was a time where it was like, whoa, wait a minute. What's going on here? And then I learned that from God's perspective, my nature inside was spiritually dead toward him. The reason I couldn't feel God is because I wasn't alive 
to God. I was dead in transgressions and sins. I was making decisions that distanced myself from God and from his life. And in our minds, Paul writes in another letter, he says, your mind is just darkened. It's like you're under a shadow. You're not living in the light. You're clouded and shrouded by darkened thoughts. And in my desires, I was disobedient. There was a reason I was breaking God's laws. Because I was dead in my spirit, and I was an enemy with God. This is what Scripture says. How does God treat his enemies? Romans 5.10 says this, while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God. He makes friends by the death of his son. Romans 5.6, you see, at just the right time, God does for us what we could never do for ourselves. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, I couldn't fix it, but Christ died for the ungodly. God does for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's grace. And Paul, so Paul says this, very rarely will anybody die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinning, actively rebelling, living out our disobedience in darkness and suffering the consequences. While I'm still doing that, Christ died. For me, this is some of the amazing part of amazing grace. And this is the father in Jesus' story of the prodigal son. You know, when the son comes home and the father welcomes him home with a party. I mean, they grill the steaks, they turn the volume up on the, on the sound system, and there's dancing out in the... In Luke chapter 15, read about it. In verse 20, Jesus is telling the story, and the wayward, rebellious son has finally come to his senses, and he's making his way back to the father's house. In verse 20, it says, while he was still a long way off, the father sees him. He's been watching for him, (laughs) you know, out on the porch. I recognize that silhouette. And it says he gets up and he runs to him, filled with compassion, throws his arms around him, and he kisses him, and then he says to his servants, well, it says the son first interrupts him. He says, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've been living like an enemy. And he says to the servants, quick, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Get that ring and put it back on his finger. Bring out some new sandals. Bring the calf, the fatted calf, kill it, and uh, let's have a feast. This son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost. Didn't know if he'd ever come, but now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. Jesus told that story, and it's about the hospitality of God. Amazing grace. Moving us, people like me, people like you, out of our isolation and into God's hospitality. It's like God is passing the pineapple. Aren't you glad to see me? Back from the faraway place. It's no accident that the story of God's hospitality involves a feast and finding your place at the table. The table has long represented God's welcoming and provision for us to share fellowship. Psalm 23, verse 5, you prepare a table before me 
in the presence of my enemies. And then you just pour it on. You, you, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. You know, it was a table the night that Jesus was with those closest to him where he took bread and, and said, this is me. And he took wine and he poured it. He said, this is me. I'm, I'm being broken and poured out because of you. It was, a hospita- it was an act of hospitality table of hospitality that we're invited to share. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, I love this verse. Jesus says, here I am. You ever, you're looking for God? Where are you, God? He says, here I am. I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. And if anyone hears my voice, Lord, is that you? And opens the door. Lord, I'm opening my door. What's going to happen? He said, I'm going to come in. <laughs> and we will eat. I will eat with that person. I'm going to find myself a place right at your table. That's God sharing hospitality with us. Jesus said one day that God was going to dwell with his people so close. The word in the revelation is that God will tabernacle. That God's going to sit down like at the kitchen table with you and he's going to be so close to have access that he could just reach over and dry every tear from your eye. It says there will be no more, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. The old order of things has passed away. And the new order of what? Of God's eternal hospitality has come. It's like, welcome home. You know, God loves get-togethers. We're created for fellowship, fellowship with him, fellowship with one another, and a new order has come. Where our, that's what Paul is introducing us to. He says we're living toward the new order that's coming because the old order is dying and our minds need to be transformed. we got to think on another level because that's where we're going. Our hearts are filled, our hands are opened, and we're sharing the gifts of hospitality with others as we look forward to being together with God forever. Here's the text for today. Romans 12, beginning in verse 13. Share with the Lord's people. Share with the Lord's people in need. Practice what? Shall we say it together? Hospitality. Bless those. What does that look like? Well, he says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse. Bless them. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. That's attentive community. And if it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, then live at peace with everyone. Let's just break this down real quickly, shall we? Verse 13, share and show hospitality. That means be warm and friendly. That's literally what that means. Show warmth and friendship. Entertain others in your home. I mean, even people you don't know. Be kind to strangers. Strangers in the congregation, then let's make friends. That's where it starts. Cafecito doesn't hurt either on that that one right there. So, do you see that in your Bible? I'm It's in the Miami Bible, by the way. To those of you joining us from other, it's right there. Okay, verse 14. Bless, don't curse. What that means is just keep it positive. 
You know, let's be upbeat about this. Be a positive blessing. Don't wait for one. You get there first. And you give one. That's what that means. Verse 15, rejoice with the rejoicers. Share the joy and then cry with those crying. What does that mean? Stay emotionally aware of the people that are sharing your table. Be in touch with the feelings of others. Isn't that amazing? And then as you sense it, then adapt to what they are feeling. Doesn't mean you have to stay there, but if you want to create hospitality, this is where it comes. We make the emotional connection, right? Verse 16, I love this. It says, live in harmony. It says, though people of lower position, no. People of higher position, no. We're all on the same staff. The music, I'm thinking he's talking musically here. Low notes and high notes come together and they make amazing harmony. It's like we heard just a moment ago with our worship team. It's like all of a sudden, bam, right in the middle of it. Jesus is Lord, and it was so tight, and it was so strong, and it was so lifting. That's what he says fellowship can be like that. Some people are on the low end of the economic challenge right now. Other people on high end of that. He says, you know what? Let's mix it up. Let's get at each other's table, and let's see the harmony that God can bring. Would our world, would our church be a better place if we were just to practice that right here, learn how to bring our voice and be part of the whole song God is writing. Don't be conceited. You know, don't insist on always having a solo voice. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't stand in the room and say, you know, I'm the only person who really gets it in this room. You know, I don't see why they don't understand. No, he said, don't be a legend in your own mind. Be willing to look at yourself through other people's eyes. I want to talk about self-discovery. There it is. Slow down long enough to think what it looks like if they were being your mirror. Emotional intelligence. The message version says it like this. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. And don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. Would you say that with me? Discover beauty in everyone. Okay, do you want to look at somebody and say, discover beauty? No, don't do it. Okay, it's okay. Don't, you don't have to do that. Right? <laughs> if you've got it in you, then he says, then be at peace with everybody. Boy, that's another one of those. How did that get in the Bible? But there it is. Verse 17, pursue peace. In other words, when you encounter evil, which you're going to, evil circumstances, evil decisions, evil people, you know, sometimes people are the worst. And when evil rises up in you, what are you supposed to do about it? You know, what does he say here? He says, in, in, when you encounter evil, resist your urge to retaliate. Resist your urge to retreat, duck, dodge. What am I supposed to do if I can't fight back and if I can't run away? Try this one. Redeem. Does that sound familiar? Jesus, our Redeemer, he enters into the hard place and makes a better space. That God wants to give you that power? Yes, the New Living 
says, I mean, it's like step, become part of the solution. The living says it this way, never pay back evil with more evil, but do, such, do things in such a way that everyone else can see that you're trying to stay on the upward slope here. You're honorable. Do everything you can to live at peace with everyone. This is amazing hospitality. This is like pineapple territory here. Last month, I was honored to uh, celebrate a birthday of one of our longtime church members and um, a good personal friend of mine. Her mother, Pat Henderson, is who I'm talking about, and her mother was celebrating her 106th birthday. I'm telling you, 106. So we went out to Shawnee, Oklahoma, and she wanted me to interview her. We captured some things on in the studio there in Life Church in Oklahoma City. And they were going to play it in her home church to celebrate her on her big day. And while I was listening to the story and doing the interview, I uh, just was taken by Pat grew up in this type of an environment, in this type of home, with this type of family. And uh, I thought it was a perfect example of what Paul is talking about right here. I want Christ's journey to hear this story. So I asked Pat. So why don't we hear her together? I believe that God gave me the spiritual gift of hospitality. I'm more comfortable sitting on my patio or on my dock just sharing God's love with people. I grew up in a large family. I have six brothers and a sister. And my parents were missionaries to the Native American Indians in Oklahoma. My father would as he's out and about in the community, he would see people that needed a meal or needed a place to stay overnight or sometimes up to a year or so. But our house was always an open door and we all were comfortable with that. We just incorporated them into our family. So we grew up just learning to accept people for where they were, what they were at not to be biased or judgmental, but just welcome them into our home. After I got married, Darl and I wanted that same kind of home, and it was just a natural thing for us to do that. So we became the house that everybody wanted to go to. And there's many young adults here today that through the years have been in my home, be it for a ski party, a Bible study, or just to hang out. My daughter would call me after church on Sunday night and said, hey, some of us are coming over. And it could be five people, it could be 20 people. But we've always just welcomed anybody that wants to come for however long. I've had them for weeks, months, years also. But it's just a natural, thing that God has given me the gift for. And I believe that our young people need a place to stay, need a place to go where they're not judged, where they feel like they could just be themselves, have somebody just listen to them and hang out with them. When my children were going into junior high and high school, we were attending another church locally and they did not have an emphasis on youth. So I started looking for a church that would make the youth a priority. So that's when I found Christ Journey Church. I saw how much this church valued youth and that is what I wanted. 
I've been here some 40 some years and seen a lot of changes. But the one thing that hasn't changed is the value that this church puts on our youth Amen. and the opportunities that it gives our youth to grow and to be more Christ-like. As I look around, there are young adults here today that I invested my life in when they were in the youth, and they are the church of today, and I'm so very proud of them. That is why I'm here today, is because the value that this church has had on my family, my home is always open to young and old still, and this is, this is my church, and this church is my family. <laughs> oh, man. I love that, sister. And I love the fact that God has chosen her to be in our family and to help us be the family that God wants everybody to get a share in. When I first came to uh, UBC, now Christ Journey, those years ago, um, Pat had served as Pastor Dan's executive secretary, Pastor Dan Yuri, and I was privileged to work with her for a while. She's tried to retire. We keep trying not to let her, and as much as we can, but she, she has been through so many changes, as she just mentioned. One of those changes that she experienced this past year was... Um, her husband, Darrell, was welcome to find his place at God's table of eternal hospitality. And uh, it's never easy to part with those we love. But knowing Jesus, who said, in my Father's house, lots of room, many rooms, and I've gone to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you can be. Place at the table, place in the house. For those of us who have let our loved ones go, we're thanking God today for that divine hospitality. That's what that is, that God has made room. Darrell is with the Lord. Someday we're going to be with him in Christ. And when I began my first ministry here, I remember asking Dan what he thought the church's core values were. And he wrote me a letter back, and the first one he said was, well, we, we disagree without dishonoring one another. You ever heard that? We still say that around here. We still practice that around here. We still disagree around here. But we seek to disagree without dishonoring. And then he said, second, we seek to reach young people. And then he told the story of a, a renowned and outstanding physician here in Miami, Dr. Frank Tate, who um, was actually the anti-smoking pioneer in this area. You can look him up online. That's another story for another time. But he said that Dr. Tate told him, he said he hit himself in the forehead like he was planning to do, and he, he just said, do whatever it takes to reach the young people. And we're still doing that. By the way, I think that, um, that today we should say how much Christ Journey loves our young people, several attending right now, connecting in our church. Could we just give it up for our teens and for our young people? And can we let them know that the church family loves them, that we believe in them, that we lift them up? 
This hasn't gone away. This is what Pat was talking about. We make room for one another. And when I first came, I was given a copy of a message that Dan had preached. It said, a church for Rachel Kay was the title. Rachel Kay was his newborn granddaughter. And what I took from that message is this, that we give God's church a future when we learn how to think and live two generations down. Not just reaching our kids, but our grandkids. We're thinking in terms of speaking the language they understand, of doing whatever it takes to reach the young people. Not because they're the church of the future. Teenagers, you're not the church of the future. You're the church of now. You're the church today. So we want to encourage you to step up, show up, make a difference, and know that we are lifting you up and saying this is the kind of hospitality God wants us to have for every age and every stage of life. This is what Think Orange is all about. We're making room the way God does for the ones that he is seeking to reach and bring. And our future today is intact because we keep opening our doors and our hearts to all of those that are born into God's family and adopted into God's family. I, uh, I read a story this last week of a family who have one biological child and all the rest of their children are adopted. And uh, at one point, they're explaining to the youngest child what it means to be adopted, trying to help him understand how he had been chosen how he had been waited for, and then how he had been welcomed with joy into the family. And uh, when they finished explaining to Tommy what it meant to be an adopted son within the family, Tommy was just beaming. He said, oh, how wonderful. Can we adopt Mark too, his big brother, who was the biological child? Can he be adopted too? Well, Paul, in writing to the Galatians, in chapter 4 says that God has made room to adopt all. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. And this is how he wrote it in the letter. When the time, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. That means that every one of us would be treated with the blessings of a firstborn son. That's what that means. And so because, of his, because you are his sons, treated like the firstborn, God sent the spirit of his son, his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into our hearts, the spirit of the firstborn, so that the spirit calls out, Abba, Father, Adopted children treated as firstborn sons and no longer a slave but God's child. And since you're a child, God has made you also an heir. That means that the full inheritance of the Father is coming your way. That's divine hospitality. Bringing you out of isolation and into God's house. Even when people are the worst, what God can do is make room. So here's the point. I mean, so what? So what are we supposed to do? How about this? How about we just make room like God does? We make room like God does. 
We make room in our minds. We make room in our attitudes. We make room in our hearts. We make room in our homes. We, we make room. We make room in God's church. We make room for the ones that God is bringing into his family. We make room in your home. What would it look like in your house to have somebody over that maybe hasn't ever been there before? Hey, maybe, okay, maybe not strangers. Maybe, how about your group? What if we just had a pass the pineapple night, Christ's journey, and you just had your group come over and everybody brings a covered dish and everybody brings a little potluck and you pretend like they're pineapples and you just pass the pineapple to one another. And, or maybe you could also like have an exchange cards because of the way you are getting to know one another. You exchange a card that says, I know you like this and I'm thankful to God for you like this. And we were just to put this text into practice in your home. What would that look like? If you were just to make room like God does at your table, or if somebody was to make room for you at their table, or you're thinking, well, I'm not in a group. Okay, we can fix that. <laughs> call Desi, call Addis, let's get you in a group, and then let's have a pass the pineapple night at Christ's journey, and everybody gets a taste of the sweetness of God's pineapple. Pass the pineapple. Please. Please. That's what this is about. Let's get reconnected. If you live outside the 305, you know, I thank God for church online. I'm so thankful for the technology that allows us to stay connected of a kind, even though we can't be in the same space. But I'm telling you, if you're in the 305 or the 786 or whatever is closest, in it, come on back. You know, there's only, there's, there's so much we can do through a distance, but there's something else that happens when we practice hospitality and we make room for one another in the same space. You say, well, I don't live in the 305. Okay, you can do what, like the PhD student that's been connected with us online in Switzerland for those years that she was there studying. You know what she did? She started inviting some fellow students over to her apartment, and they would watch church online together. With a, they created their own group and practiced hospitality. This can happen if we'll join it. So I don't know what your next step is, but I would suggest this. If you haven't gotten a group, then take that step and get connected. And if you're in a group, then open your home up. Open your heart up. Do something to get people at the table. Or when somebody invites you, go to the table and bring your pineapple and show up. Or maybe for you, it's to accept God's invitation to come to his table for the very first time. That you've been religious, but you've never really received what Christ broke for you and poured out for you so that you could know it and taste it and feel it in the deep part of you, that you could trust Jesus and receive him as your Savior today. When that happened to me, the first time, the first prayer I offered was this, God, if you're real, would you show me? Within 24 hours, I was praying this prayer, Jesus, forgive me my sins, cleanse me, I receive your gift of salvation, come into my life and lead me. And you can pray that prayer right now. In fact, let's bow together. And if that's you, and you would like to accept God's invitation to the table of hospitality, would you ask him right now, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Thank you that you love me, even 
when I'm still sinning, Christ died for me. I receive your love. I open my life. I invite you to my table. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your spirit. And now lead me as I follow you. Our heads are bowed just for a moment longer, but if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps, would you simply raise your hand and hold it up just for a moment? Several here in the middle, in the front, in the very middle section, in the back. God bless you. Here on the aisle to my right. Amen. Lord, for these who I have seen and those whom you know, have cried out to you, we pray today that they would feel how precious they are to you, each one. How happy you are that they're, they've come home. And we pray you'll fill their heart with joy and they will feel the angels' joy celebrating as we make our prayer in your name. Amen.